Please rise for the reading of God's Word. From Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, hear now God's Word. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said, You may be seated. Our text today uh, comes from near the end of Peter's life. As I thought about a sermon for Pentecost Sunday, uh, and remembering that I preached from Acts the previous year on Pentecost, I was looking for a new angle uh, and thought about the Apostle Peter. And then I was reading an excellent book by Harold uh, Sinkbeel titled The Care of Souls, and he quoted this text from Second Peter, and this got me to thinking about the remarkable life of this fisherman who was unexpectedly transformed into a fisher of men, uh, and also a shepherd of the sheep. And then I had a short detour to the hospital, and Elder Alders graciously filled in for me at the last minute on Pentecost Sunday. And so I've decided to return to this text as a sermon that will be a transition back to our series in the book of Acts, which we left off a little before Easter. So again, our text today comes near the end of Peter's life as he he references in verse 14 and says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, his body, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Uh, You might recall that uh, we know that Peter was old. Actually, I got to looking this up and actually discovered that he was about 67, which is what I will be on Tuesday. So he was old. And you'll recall that in John 21, Jesus, uh, John 21, 18, Jesus had already prophesied and said to Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And many think this is an allusion to Peter's martyrdom. Uh, and obviously he had to be carried. I'm not quite there, but Peter, I'm certain, lived a much harder life than I have. So Peter now in this book, in this second, in second Peter is looking back. He's reflecting upon what he has learned. And he summarizes, I think here, what is most crucial for us to know 
and to remember. Think about when Peter was first called to follow Jesus. We first meet Simon. He's a fisherman. He's working with his brother Andrew and and his partners James and John. They fished the waters of Lake Galilee. They sold their catch in the market in Capernaum where they lived. And he was certainly no scholar, but a rather ordinary blue-collar man who probably had grown up in a very similar kind of home. His brother, Andrew, after hearing Jesus teach on one occasion, persuaded Simon to come hear him. We read about that in John chapter 1. And when Jesus first looks at Simon, he says this, uh, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Jesus already saw something in this man, or that something that perhaps he would become, which is he would become a rock. And we certainly are going to see that as the story of Peter's life develops, especially as we see him acting in Acts. Shortly after this, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee again, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets into the sea, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so they immediately left their nets and followed him. And you'll recall the occasion when Jesus asked Peter if he could borrow his boat uh, shortly after this first incident. And from there, Jesus taught the crowds that that came out to hear him. So he goes out off the shore a bit uh, where he can stand and, and teach. This will be one of the first times uh, in this incident where we'll see uh, Peter set aside some of his doubts and he will trust Jesus. So after Jesus finishes teaching, he says to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And he points out, so Peter starts to do that, but he says to Jesus, uh, he reminds him, we've been fishing all night long and we have caught nothing. But here's the critical thing. Here's what Peter says next, though. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. There's part of Peter says, no way. We've been fishing all night, nothing. But Jesus said to do this, So we're going to do it. Not sure it'll work, but we're going to do it and see. The next thing we see is two boats overflowing with fish. This was Simon's Isaiah moment because the next thing he did, we were told, is he fell down on his knees before Jesus and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is early on in Peter's following Jesus. Of course, his partners, James and John, were also astonished. And Jesus replied to Simon, saying, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. This was such a dramatic demonstration of the power of the words of Jesus that we're told in verse 11 
that when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus had gone to work on Simon Peter, just as he has on countless others. So this is how the story starts with Peter and Jesus. From the beginning, Jesus is teaching Peter to rely upon his words because his words are powerful. It made me think, for example, of these passages of Scripture. Genesis 1, of course, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the earth. And the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, his words. This faith and reliance on the word of God is not only critical for Peter to learn, to know, and remember, it is critical for every one of us to learn, to know, and to remember. Now, there are many more events recorded in Peter's story And while we don't have time for all of them this morning, I want to look at a couple of them. We've already looked at the first incident of the boat and the two boatloads of fish because Peter said, Jesus will do whatever you say to do. Near the end of their three years together, Jesus took his men out of Israel into Gentile territory so he could have some time alone with them away from the demands of the crowd There he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they answered, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. This was the word on the streets. They tried to identify Jesus by using familiar categories, but Jesus really didn't fit any of them. He was something more than a prophet. He was a prophet, but he was more than that. And Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter had been thinking about this very question ever since that miraculous catch of fish when he fell down before him and says, I'm an unclean man, I'm a sinner. He'd seen many miracles. He'd heard his teaching. All the pieces of the puzzle were starting to come together. And Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. The Christ was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah who fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. And we're going to see Peter, when, when we get to the book of Acts, and he begins to preach, he's going to be citing 
those references over and over and over from the Old Testament that spoke about Christ. Peter recognized Jesus was the Messiah. He was more than human. He was the divine Son of God. And if a person, uh, if you ever realize that, then everything changes. Everything. Jesus said to Simon, you are blessed, Simon, because my Father has revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't figure this out, and no one really told you. God revealed this to you. This is so far out of the normal categories that it requires a revelation from God. God has to reveal himself to us if we're to know him. Then Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And we know that the church is founded and built on Jesus, not on any human being, but rather on the profession that Peter makes here, that is, that Jesus Christ is the true living Son of God. That's what the church is built on, that profession that Peter made. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. But then Peter stumbles. On the last night of Jesus' life, as they were sharing the Last Supper together, Jesus warned his disciples, Matthew 26, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. This and be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly. Or truly, truly, I say to you, this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. Jesus knows you better than you know you. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Unfortunately, Peter overestimated his strength. You've never done that, have you? Later that night, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was the only one who resisted. He pulled his sword out, took a swing at one of the soldiers, cutting off his ear, and then, of course, Jesus reached out and and touched Malchus and healed his ear. He rebukes Peter. For taking out the sword. They arrest Jesus, and the disciples, most of them, ran off into the dark. But Peter followed the mob at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, no doubt staying incognito. There he warmed himself by a fire while Jesus was being tried, and a girl in the courtyard 
recognized him and said, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said very quickly, I am not. Who, me? I don't know what you're talking about. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, Uh, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and his southern accent gave him away. Then he began to curse and to swear. I don't know this man of whom you speak. Second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Once again, the word of Jesus was true and powerful. So Peter is quite the bundle of contradictions. On the one hand, he was courageous enough to follow Jesus right into the high priest's courtyard, and on the other, his courage failed when he was confronted and faced with the possibility of being arrested himself. On the one hand, he sincerely promised total devotion. I believe Peter was sincere when he said what he said to Jesus. He said, I'll follow you to the death if necessary. And on the other hand, he disavows Jesus at the very first sign of danger. Peter's tears tell us a lot about him. He was earnest about his promise and heartbroken about his failures. Fortunately, for Peter's sake and for our sake, Jesus specializes in healing broken people. Even after Jesus' resurrection, Peter's failure troubled him. It wasn't a one-night deal. This lingered. Think of your biggest failure of faith and how shameful you felt. Would Jesus even want Peter to be a follower anymore? So we see Peter and six of the others back at their old job fishing. This is after the crucifixion. And this is where Jesus had found Peter in the first place. Once again, they fished all night. They caught nothing. Does that sound familiar? Beginning of the story. Now here we are. The two fishing incidents took place years apart from each other, but in both miracles, apostles are fishing unsuccessfully in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus tells them to try one more cast of the nets at which they are rewarded with a great catch. 
You see, when Jesus is teaching you and teaching us to trust Him and His Word, if we don't learn that lesson the first time, we, like Peter, get to repeat the lesson. The second miraculous catch of fish certainly seems to recall the first one. It is recorded in John 21, 1 through 13, right after the resurrection of Jesus. I want to read this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together, and Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! That's the only one that can do that, right? Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, that's about 100 yards out, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So Jesus turned to Peter and he asked him on this occasion, after breakfast, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now remember, Peter had said, even if everyone else disavows you, disowns you, I won't. In essence, Peter claimed to love Jesus more than all the other disciples. So maybe that's what Jesus meant. Do you really love me more than these other disciples? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, Interesting here, Jesus used the Greek word agape for love, the highest word for love, the love of a pure commitment to another, uh, another's well-being. But Peter answered with the word phile, the word for affection or friendship or brotherly love. And Simon said, or Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And basically he said, Lord, I really like you a lot. You're a good friend. I have affection for you. Peter had over-promised before. I think that's 
what's going on here, perhaps, and underdelivered. He wasn't about to make the same mistake again. I really like you, Lord. I like you a lot. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I feel a you. I really like you a lot. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And Jesus asked one more time, Simon, do you delay me? Do you really like me? And Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked him this and said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And so in John 21... Um, we read that story. And so Jesus restored Peter, and we will see him in full action in the book of Acts. Jesus finds Peter after he failed and deserted, and Jesus really only asked one question, and it's the same question he'll ask you when you failed. Do you love me? Not, why did you disown me? Why did you lie? None of that. Just, do you love me? So no matter what you've done or how you've crashed, Jesus says only one question, has only one question today, do you love me? And notice that when Peter was unwilling or unable to use the higher word for love, Jesus accommodated him. Kind of a lesson I've tried to learn as a pastor. There's oftentimes, or a father, or even with anyone I care for, is I may expect this much, and sometimes all they can give is this much. And that's okay. I still want more, and Jesus wants more. Give what you got. He'll bring you the rest of the way. He does with Peter. It's like Peter said, Lord, I don't want to, again, overpromise. And Jesus said, I'll take that and we'll go from there. Do you love me? Yes, I do, Jesus, but even my best love is weak. Jesus understands and takes us where we are. He says, feed my sheep, and that's exactly what Peter went on to do. Peter was humbled by his failure. Peter went on to become one of the primary leaders in the early church, as we see in the book of Acts, maybe the primary leader. He preached the first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and 3,000 people believed. You're talking about, there's the picture of the, the catch of the fish, right? I'll make you fishers of men. Now there's so many, we, we, we don't know what to do with all of them. He, pre, he presided over the church in Jerusalem. He healed people, worked miracles, preached to crowds, was arrested, jailed, and miraculously released. He went on, he went on to Samaria to affirm the birth of the church there. And later God used Peter to bring the first Gentile, Cornelius, into the church. Peter was instrumental in the Jerusalem council that made it possible for Gentiles to freely become Christians and for the church to spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. Peter eventually wrote two letters that were circulated among the churches known as First and Second Peter. And that brings us back to today's text. <clears throat> For we did not follow cunningly devised fables 
when we, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So now at the conclusion of his life, Peter reflects on what he has learned. He has made the connection between the person and the work of Jesus. In essence, he says, folks, we're not making this stuff up. We lived it. We saw the divine majesty of Christ firsthand. This harkens back to the word from heaven at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it in Matthew 17, 6, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. That We certainly see that happening in the Old Testament when people have an encounter with the living God. Throughout Peter's early life, we see him thoroughly convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, only to see Peter lapse and forget and doubt and deny. And Peter sounds a lot like me. How about you? But then we're given in Second Peter this remarkable assurance. And so, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, no part of Scripture, is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of men, man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter wants us to learn sooner what took him a long time to learn. That is, that the Word of God is what dispels the darkness, whatever darkness may be in your life. You and I have the very words of Jesus. We have the words of the prophets and the apostles which are still powerful. They're written down for us to learn. Remember, in that first fishing incident, Peter said to Jesus, Nevertheless, even though we didn't catch any fish, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let the net down. That is the lesson we all need to learn. And the sooner we learn it, the better. The Scriptures are divinely inspired and and they are the preserved record of the very words of God. And when we believe and act on them, they become a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who don't believe. That same Spirit has given us the written text of the words of Jesus, His apostles, in the Old Testament. These not only provide the church, the pillar, and the ground of the truth, but they are also the living and the abiding Word of God for all troubled 
and anxious Christians. What a gift. And when everything else fails, and by the way, everything else will fail. When everything else fails, we have something solid and lasting. Thus says the Lord. What a comfort for fearful, for anxious, for hurting, for grieving believers. We can stand on the solid rock of the living, everlasting Word of God in this Word there is life. John 20, 30-31, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not all written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. In his name. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your powerful word. It was powerful in the beginning, and it remains powerful today. Like Peter, we both know this to be true, and we are too easily and we too easily forget this. Grant to us a firm resolve to always look to, trust, follow and act upon your abiding and living word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the living and abiding word of God leads us to the communion table. 1 Peter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 22 through chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, I hope this is describing you, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, in other words, if that's true, if you've been born again by the word of God, If you have sincere and fervent love of the brethren, that's the fruit of having been born again and having loved God and been loved by God, and now you're loving the brethren. Therefore, laying aside all malice. I want to pause on these just a bit. Malice is ill will, bad attitude. All deceit. Just be honest. Tell the truth. That's what confession is, is telling God that you agree with what he thinks about you. Hypocrisy. Don't put on one show on Sunday and a different one, you know, by Wednesday. Envy. 
and all evil speaking. All of it. Every last word of it. Snarkiness, foul language. You know all the varieties that that comes in. So get rid of all of that. And as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's going to be the evidence. You're like a little baby who's hungry for milk. It's pretty easy to tell who believes the Word of God and who takes it lightly. It's not only seen in what we do, but way before that, it is seen in the attitude and the spirit. Moreover, hunger for the Word is also evident for all, like a crying baby is evident. And of course, there's the obvious growth in Christ that results. Let us come to the table then. In the, from the Word of God, which has brought us here in every sense of the Word and sustains us before the Lord. Almighty God, who in former times led our fathers from a wilderness to a wealthy place and did set our feet in a large room, we humbly ask you to give your grace to us, their children, that we may also provide ourselves, prove ourselves to be a people mindful of your favor and glad to do your will. Bless our land with sound doctrine, righteous laws, godly people. Defend our liberties and preserve our unity. Save us from violence, discord, and confusion, from pride, arrogance, and from every evil way. Take the nations of the world, men and women from every race and tongue, and form us into one nation under God. And do with the with the spirit of wisdom, those whom we entrust in your name with the authority to govern so that there may be peace at home and that we may keep our place among the nations of the earth. Lord, our nation has forgotten your law and often calls evil good and good evil. Send out your word to conquer the nations and to return sanity, peace, and true kindness to the world. In the name of prosperity, temper us, Excuse me, in the time of prosperity, temper us with thankfulness. And in the days of trouble, do not allow our trust in you to fail. All of which we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.